actually this afternoon, at about 4.20 p.m. marks 11 years of being pronounced as the husband to my incomparable Christine. 11 years ago this afternoon. It has been the, uh, yeah, one of the joys of my life to be married to Christine. Uh, now suppose we go out tonight to celebrate, and suppose I say to her, I love you, Christine, but I have no idea what kind of food you like. Where do you want to go? Then a little bit later, I say, I love you, but I really don't know what you enjoy talking about. What do you want to talk about? A little bit later, you know, I love you, and I went out to get you a gift, but I have no idea what you like, so I just got myself something instead. (laughs) And then after dinner, I tell her again, you know, I love you, but I wasn't sure what you like to do. So I know what I like to do, and we're going to go to the driving range and hit some golf balls, hope you don't mind. Now, this sounds like the anniversary date from hell, right? You see, I can tell Christine that I love her until I'm blue in the face. But if I do not know her, my professed love for her really means nothing. If I cannot articulate anything about her at all and all that she means to me, I don't really love my wife. I cannot love my wife if I do not know her. And if I do not know her, I cannot truly love her. We cannot love what we do not know. We cannot love what we do not know. This morning we're continuing our series asking various why questions. Why Sunday? Why give? Why preaching? This morning we're looking at the question, why study? Why study? Now you may think it odd at first glance that this was included in this why series. Preaching makes sense. Sundays make sense. In a couple weeks we'll hear about elders. Why elders? Makes sense. Giving makes sense. But study? Like, that seems like a stretch, right? Like, that in the context of these why questions, we would look at why study. Is this some call to higher education or something like that? No, no, it's not. And let me first, before we get into answering this question, define my terms. I want to be crystal clear that in the context of this sermon, the word study is always about studying to know God. Studying to know God. Not studying to know things in general, to gather information. The clearest revelation of God is in the person of Jesus Christ. And we know Christ through His Word. So to study is about knowing God through Christ in His Word. Knowing God through Christ in His Word. That's the Bible. Jesus tells us that the greatest commandment is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now this morning we're going to look at that last aspect of this love, loving God with our minds. Why should I, why should you love God with your mind? The call that God places on our lives is to love Him with all that we are, to treasure Him above all else. Jesus told a story about a man who found a treasure in a field. And so he covered up this treasure and goes And sells everything he has so that he can buy this field and obtain this treasure. Jesus says that in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. That's Matthew 13, 44. In his joy. Notice this wasn't out of of obligation. It wasn't begrudging. His giving of all that he has to gain this treasure was his greatest delight. It was his joy. Because he knew something about this treasure. He knew how valuable it really was. He knew something of its worth. He knew that its value exceeded all of his possessions. 
So he sold everything that he has to obtain this treasure. Is this how you know God? Is this how you view God? Our minds, our minds, they allow us and enable us to grasp something of the truth and the beauty and the worth of God. And just like with Christine, my wife, it is through knowledge, it's through learning, through using my mind, using our minds that we awaken our love. It's through using our mind that we awaken our love for God. We study to know God, to awaken our love for God, that we might obey God and glorify God. Now all of this implies that there's something we lack, something we don't have. We lack knowledge. In other words, we have room to grow. We have more to gain. Wherever you are this morning, if you've been a Christian for a day or if you've been a Christian for 50 years, you have more to gain. As a church, as Larry mentioned earlier, we are a group of disciples, growing as disciples, helping others grow as disciples, and making new disciples. So why study? We study to grow. We study to grow when we grow first by knowing God. Now please open your Bibles to Proverbs 2. Proverbs chapter 2. Now as Christians, we should all have the desire to grow in Christ. And this, this passage that we're going to be looking at gives us a handle on how we can do that. It provides us a way forward. This is how you grow. You see, the Christian life, it's, it's about growth. Look at the end of Proverbs 1, verse 32 there. It says, The complacency of fools destroys them. Pastor Ray Ortland comments on this passage. He says, You do not need to hate Jesus to waste your life. You only need to be okay with how you are. You do not need to hate Jesus to waste your life. You only need to be okay with how you are. So if we are a church marked by complacency, we are destined to fail. We're destined for destruction as a church. So let us be a church not marked by complacency, which destroys, but let us be a church that embodies the passage we're going to be looking at. And before we read this passage, let me give you an idea of just where we're going to go. I'm going to make three points from this passage that answer our question, why study? And then from there, we're going to look at one broad point of application. And before we dive into the passage, let me just give you the answer, where we're going, the answer to this question, why study? Why study? God calls us to study so we might know who to love and how to live. God calls us to study so we might know who to love and how to live. Now this morning, if, you're, if you have a Bible in your hand, you, you hold the very words of God. The eternal, inerrant, infallible, unchanging words of God. And God speaks to us today. So let, let us look at Proverbs chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And we'll go through to verse 11. This is the Word of God. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with, the, with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding... Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of His saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity every good path. 
for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch, watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Thanks be to God for His, His Word. So our question, why study? First, in the first place, study because God calls you to this work. Study because God calls you to this work. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 4 in this first point. In these first four verses, we come across this string of conditional statements. You see, if you receive my words, if you call out for insight, if you seek it like silver. The point that the, the writer is making is crystal clear. He's saying no one drifts into wisdom and understanding. Wisdom and understanding don't just happen. Knowledge doesn't just appear before us. God calls us to work at knowing Him. Verse 1 again, If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments. This is much like Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We are to labor to let this truth take up residence in us. His words should live in us. A friend of mine recently hosted a, a pastor in his home from Latin America. And this friend who is himself Latino mentioned how Latino hospitality is not for the faint of heart. He described the three days that this guy stayed with him and just how it, it dominated his life. It overtook his home. And it was a joy for him to do. He, he loved doing this, but he was just talking about how Latino hospitality is so different from American hospitality. I've had people stay with me before who I've seen for maybe 10 minutes. I, they come in, I show them where they're sleeping, where the bathroom is, how to get in and out of the house, and then they're on their own. My job is done. Is this how you treat God's Word? You receive them, but you aren't attentive to them. You receive them, but you don't reorient your life around them. I think too often this is how we approach God's Word. We get up, we read our chapter, we spend five minutes or 15 minutes or 30 minutes reading God's Word, and then we move on with our day. Our job is done. Friends, this falls short of God's call to treasure His commandments. Receive His words. Treasure them. Let them take up residence in your soul and in your mind. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Look next at verse 3. It says, Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. We are to be active in this pursuit of knowledge. If you look at all these verbs, call out, raise your voice. Then we'll go see in verse 4, seek it, search for it. These are things we actively do. We are to be active in our study to know God, eagerly inquiring and seeking out. A situation comes up from time to time in my life when Christine and I are somewhere unfamiliar and we need help. Maybe we need to figure out where we're supposed to be for something or what we're supposed to do. Now my tendency is to just kind of let the situation play out and they'll tell us where we need to be when they're good and ready to tell us. Or they'll tell us what we need to do when it's time for us to do something. Like, it'll be okay. And Christine's saying, no, just go ask somebody. Just go ask somebody. I'm like, no, that's all right. Just, we'll figure it out. It'll be fine. This kind of leadership is, is complacent and passive. It does not call out for insight and raise its voice for understanding. There's no seeking involved in that kind of approach to gaining knowledge. 
That's not what God is calling us to. He says, call out. He says, raise your voice. Speak up. Take some initiative and go after this wisdom. Ask questions of God's Word. Do do the hard work in getting to know God through His Word. Look at verse 4. It says, seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure. Give yourself to discovering it. Labor and search, sweat and seek. We know where this, that there is treasure. There is treasure in this book. So get after it. Go after it. Is this how you read your Bible? You know, in some places we find this a little bit easier. It's as if these, this treasure is just kind of sitting at the surface. So we go to our favorite passages. We go to Romans 8 or Ephesians 2, or Psalm 23, or Psalm 145. We go to these passages that, that serve us, and they speak us, and, and we see treasure there. These are wonderful chapters, and this is a, it's a right and good for us to feast on the nourishment that God provides there. But I think we often sell ourselves short on patience when it comes to other parts of the Bible. We may, maybe some of you are right now reading through your Bible in a year, you're doing a Bible in a year plan, and in a few short weeks, you're going to come to Leviticus, and you're going to come to Numbers, or you'll find yourself down the road lost in some minor prophet. You're sitting there reading, wondering, I I don't even know, I've read for 15 minutes, and I have no idea, I couldn't tell you one thing that I just read. It's these moments when we lose sight of the treasure that we seek, that we seek, we seek God in these words. Our patience can fly out the window as we engage with God's Word in these moments. In 2 Timothy 3.16, Larry, Larry mentioned it last week, all Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture, every word, breathed out by God. Not only is it breathed out by God, but it's profitable. Profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Every word. Now, sometimes it's very clear how these words are profitable. Sometimes it's not so clear to us. Seek it like silver. Search for it as for hidden treasure. Do the work to to understand and engage with God's Word. No one said that this is an easy road or this is an easy task. Neither is treasure hunting. (laughs) Search for it like silver as for hidden treasure. Now it's clear in these four verses that the Christian life should be a life of thoughtful and hard work. Now in verse 5, we come to this little word, then. Then. If you do all these things, then. Now what is the great result of all this work? That brings us to our second point. Why study? Study to know who to love. Look at verse 5. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now, we've just gone through this list of of if statements. If you do this, if you do this, if you do this, if you do this, then. This is is the result. This is what you get. Now, some of you may be sitting there wondering, this kind of sounds legalistic. Isn't Isn't this legalism to say, oh, if you do these things, you will get this? Pastor Ray Ortland provides a helpful illustration here. So I'm going to I'm going to borrow it from him. Imagine that you and I were standing at the Grand Canyon. And you're just, you're just captivated by the view. You look over to me, and you remember, like, I'm blind in one eye. You see me putting on my glasses. My glasses, they're, they're scratched, and they're smudged. And you're like, Devin, Devin, clean your glasses. Like, you can't appreciate what you're seeing unless you clean your glasses. 
And I look at you and I say, stop being legalistic. Don't tell me what to do. Now, in that moment, I sound ridiculous. This is not legalism. It's not legalism for you to tell me to clear, clean off my glasses so I can see clearly and appreciate what's before us. Ortland writes this. He says, legalism is thinking I can do something to make God pay attention to me. Legalism is thinking I can do something to deserve the grace of God. Legalism is meritorious thinking. But this passage is simply asking every one of us, are you paying attention? Are you paying attention? Are you paying attention to God? The God who satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul He fills with good things. Are you paying attention to the One who brings healing to the sick, hope to the despairing, life to the dead? Are you paying attention to the One who is in all things and before all things and in whom all things hold together? Are you paying attention to this God? Brothers and sisters, pay attention. Why study? We study to pay attention to God who is our chiefest good, our our great delight. We study to know Him who satisfies the longing soul, who fills the hungry with good things. We study so that the fleeting pleasures of this world would grow dim in our eyes, would grow pale in comparison to the greatness of our God. We study so that sin seems insane and obedience glorious. We study so that we might live in view of what is really real, in view of ultimate reality. We cannot glorify and enjoy God. We cannot find our life in Him if we do not know God. We cannot love that which we do not know. So we must study to know God. And God is the great end of our our study, the purpose for our study. John Piper writes this, he says, The main reason God has given us minds is that we might seek out and find all the reasons that exist for treasuring Him in all things. He created the world so that through it and above it, we might treasure Him. The more we see of His surpassing greatness and knowledge and wisdom and power and justice and wrath and mercy and patience and goodness and grace and love, the more we will treasure Him. The more we see of Him, the more we will treasure Him. One Puritan described the reality that when we get to know another human, another creature, we become more and more aware of their faults, of their weaknesses. Maybe you have a historical hero, and as you learn more about them, you realize, oh, he wasn't as great as I thought he was. With God, that will never be the case. He will only appear more and more and more glorious. God is without comparison. He's the incomparable God. And as the incomparable and perfect God, He is completely satisfied in Himself. Get this, He has no need for anyone or anything because He is perfect. In Him is all perfection. In Him is all goodness. He didn't need to create us to fill some longing in His soul. He had all that He needed in Himself. And if He's perfect, then we can't add anything to Him to make Him better. Nor can we take anything away from Him to improve Him. He is all in all. He is without comparison. And this fountain of all goodness is just what is made available to us when we come to know Him. All 
good, everything good, everything that you could ever want is wrapped up in, in this one person, in God Himself. He is perfection and goodness and full satisfaction. George Swinnick writes this, he says, When we take the incomparable God as our God, we are incomparably blessed. When we take the incomparable God as our God, we are incomparably blessed. People are as happy or miserable as the God whom they serve. For nothing can provide more happiness than it has in itself. Nothing can provide more happiness than it has in himself. Do you know how much happiness is in God? All the happiness you could ever long for. This God, this God is our God. All his excellencies, the, the infiniteness of his grace, all of it is ours through him. And this God and his excellencies, they're not only ours now, they're ours forever. Brothers and sisters, why study? Study to know who to love. Study to know this God who alone can satisfy. Now before we move to point three here, I want you to notice a word in verse six. Four. Four. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. In all our seeking and studying, He is the one who gives wisdom and knowledge. We seek And by God's grace, we find. Again, this knowledge is not something that we earn. It's not God saying, you know, study hard and I will love you more. No, no. It's study hard and I will open your eyes. I will give you all that you could ever want or ever need. How does this happen? The short answer is is in the Bible. The Bible is God's mouth. It's how He speaks to us today. This is Proverbs 2.6. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. It's not through, it is through the word of God. It is through the word of God that we come to know him. And it's not about how smart you are or how many degrees you have, but about how sincere you are. Look at verse 7. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He stores these things up for the upright. When we pursue him in sincerity, in integrity, He opens our eyes to reality. He shows us who to love. Himself. But that's not all. Point three. Study. Why study? Study to know how to live. Study to know how to live. Look at verse nine. Then, we had this one through four, all these if statements. Verse nine kind of continues that. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity. Every good path. If you do this work of seeking wisdom, of calling out and raising your voice, of seeking it like treasure, if you do this work, then you will know how to live. William Perkins, known as the the father of the Puritans, wrote in the 16th century that theology is the science of living blessedly forever. The science of living blessedly forever. Theology, the study of God, is about living a blessed life. Some people talk about living your best life forever. Now, the the path to that best life is through the blessed God. That's the only path to it. Knowledge of God tells us how to live. You see, our study, our learning, and seeking after God is never just about the head. It's never just about getting stuff up here. It's about our hearts and our, our actions, what we do. 
Thinking is not the same thing as loving. The devil knows and thinks true thoughts about God. But he does not love God. Our thinking about God is meant to stir up, to awaken our love for God. Our thinking gets truth. Our thinking should get truth from up in our heads down into our hearts and into all that we do. John Calvin, the great reformer, he said, Theology is not apprehended by the understanding and memory alone, as other disciplines are, but it is received only when it possesses the whole soul and finds a seat and resting place in the inmost affection of the heart. It must enter our heart and pass into our daily living and so transform us into itself that it may not be unfruitful for us. This truth that we, that we gain through studying, this knowledge that we gain, is meant to transform us. Loving God must transform our affections and our actions. This is the end of all this study, that we might fear God and obey Him. That, that wisdom will come into our heart, as we read in verse 10. And notice, this, this wisdom doesn't just guide our steps into every good path, which that it does. It also gives us protection. Look at verse 11. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. This learning, this, this knowledge about God, this wisdom He gives, this will keep your steps. It functions to protect you. To protect you from the appeal of sin. From the temptation of the world. From the, the darts of the enemy. But it doesn't just protect. It also satisfies and brings joy. Look at the end of verse 10. And knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. His knowledge brings with itself satisfaction and peace. This isn't just something that, that happens in your head, but it goes down into your soul. If the knowledge that we seek stops at our heads, then we have, then we have fallen short in our task as disciples. Now this is one of my greatest fears as I pastor. I wrestle with this fear that all my study of God and His Word, all the, the books that I read and the hours that I spend reading the Bible will just stay in my head. I fear that it's possible to spend hours reading about God without ever really knowing and loving and living for God. People do it all the time. And this possibility is, is terrifying. It's sobering. So what do we do with this? Well, we must keep the end in mind that this passage sets before us. We don't study to know more or to impress others or to fit in with those around us. We study because God calls us to study, to know who to love and how to live. So that's, that's the why. Why study? We study because God calls us to study in order to know who to love and how to live. Now, by way of application, I... I have been praying about this this past week and, and thinking through many things. There are many places you could go for application here. And uh, there's just one point that I felt like the Lord really laid on my heart. And I think for many of us, maybe most of us, our greatest enemy in knowing God is distraction. We live in an era that is overwhelmed with information. Information is everywhere. Americans take in the equivalent of over 175 newspapers worth of information every day. Every day, each day. It's estimated that we take in 100,000 words outside of work every day. 
While we have the ability to process this flood of information, there's a cost associated with it. We're often unable to separate that which is important from that which is trivial. And on top of that, all of this information processing can wear us out. There's a guy, Daniel Levitin, a cognitive psychologist. He describes it this way. He says, every status update you read on Facebook, every tweet or text message you get from a friend is competing for resources in your brain. Everything, all the information around you is competing for resources in your brain. Our minds, they have limited capacity to process information. And things, things like our smartphones, they don't make this any easier. You know, for me, I would say every day, this is a fight. And I would imagine for you, it probably is a fight also. For for me, I come down to my study in the morning. I settle into my chair, open up the Bible, it's in my lap. I'm feeling George Mueller-esque as I anticipate a relaxed morning, praying to God, spending time in His Word, getting my soul happy in God. That's my, my expectation. Then it happens. I feel my hand like start to just reach for my phone. I stop myself. No, I shouldn't. Like This is my time with the Lord, and this will just distract me. So I'm, I'm not going to get out my phone. So I go back to prayer. Then another thought jumps in. And I think, like, I'm still distracted. If I just answer this one question, then I can focus. Like, I'll get the distraction out of the way. Now I can focus. So I pull out my phone. And maybe I just want to check the score from last night. Or maybe I want to see that email that I should have gotten last night. Or maybe I have a question about what happened in the news. Now one question leads to another question, and down the rabbit hole I go. So now I pull out my phone to answer this one question, and my quest to rid myself of this distraction spawns just this burst of interest in this little screen. Now I check my email. I scroll through Twitter. I look at Instagram. I, next thing I know, my kids are waking up, and my peaceful morning spent with God has just suddenly passed me by. Can you identify with this at all? This propensity to distraction. It makes me long for days when Larry and, and some of you were growing up. When, when we didn't carry social networks around in our pocket. We couldn't get information until the newspaper was delivered or the mailman came. Now you see, when I think of it that way though, I'm seeing my phone as the problem. And maybe you do too. Recently, as I was talking with John Flavel, a man who died more than 300 years ago, I came to see that my problem isn't my phone. My problem is my heart. I take my duty to know God far too lightly. Now, Flavel, he has this discourse on keeping your heart. It's around 100 pages on how to keep your heart in all kinds of circumstances. One of them he devotes to keeping the heart from distractions by vain thoughts in the time of duty. It's like, oh, this seems pretty pertinent. And in this, he labors to convince his readers of how important these duties are and how deadly distractions can be. Listen to what he says here. This is a a moment of confession as he's writing. Oh, my soul, leave trifling now. Be composed, watchful, serious. This is no common work. It is God work, soul work, eternity work. I am now going forth bearing seed which will bring forth fruit to life or death in the world to come. That's how significant our time in God's Word is. Our problem of distraction, it's not a 21st century problem. 
It's a fallen world problem. We allow our minds to be filled with the things of this world. We allow this world to shape and to form our priorities. We desire the things of this world over and against the things of God. Facebook's words become more precious to us than God's words. How do we counteract this onslaught of distraction? Well, we must labor. We can give up Facebook. We must labor to fill our minds with spiritual realities. We must labor to fill our mind with spiritual realities. Now, this fight will look different for all of us. What's important is that we get the principle. The principle coming from Colossians 2. Set your mind on things that are above. This is how we're called to live. Now, that's going to look different for all of us. For me, even as I was preparing for this sermon this past week, thinking about my phone in particular and the distraction that that can be, I disabled my web browser and I deleted it, Twitter and Instagram, because those are things that I'll just mindlessly go to. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But for me, you know what? There are other ways that I can get information. So on the computer, I don't need to do it on my phone. And I can look at Twitter on the computer if I want to. But I don't need this always accessible. And for me, it's just, it's a distraction. So I took that step. Now, I don't know how, it's kind of a test. I want to see how long I can go without having Safari on my iPhone. Maybe I can go for a long time. Maybe it's just after a week, it's like, this is really inconvenient. I don't know. But that's where I'm at right now. But I'd encourage you, think hard about steps that you can take to fight these fleeting thoughts, these distracting thoughts, these thoughts that take you away from cultivating love for God and knowledge of God. So we cultivate, we set our mind on things that are above by thinking about things that are above. You'll notice that like, if you binge watch a series on Netflix or if you follow your team's playoff run, your mind becomes consumed with these things. You think about them all the time. What we give ourselves and what we love, they shape us. They really do shape us. So set your mind on things that are above. Now, many of you, you know the, the things to do. And I'm, as by way of reminder, I'll just go through them. Read God's Word. Spend time reading God's Word. Read all of God's Word. All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable. Memorize God's Word. One thing that I've recently started doing is, since I don't have a browser on my phone, it's in those moments when I normally pull out my phone, I'll just go through whatever passages that I'm memorizing. And it's, it's really served me well. And I've memorized far more than I thought I'd be able to memorize otherwise. Memorize God's Word. Meditate on God's Word. This is one of the primary ways that we get truth from up here down to here. We meditate. Meditation is the fuel that, that fires up our affections. It's thinking deeply about God and His Word. Turning phrases over in our heads. Asking questions of God's Word. Meditate on God's Word. Prayer is another means by which we set our minds on things above. We, we express dependence on God and we make our requests known to Him. Singing, another means by which we can set our minds on things that are above. Play music in the car. Play music in whatever moments, but not just music. Play music that help you focus on God and the truth of who God is and what He's done for us. Another thing is to become a student of theology. We are all theologians to some extent. We all have thoughts about God. But read books that help you understand God better. 
everybody's going to be in different places as to what that is going to be. And if you need suggestions, I'm happy to provide suggestions. Just come and ask me. And Larry, I'm sure, would have many suggestions as well. So become a student of theology. One of the ways that we can love God through our minds is through just continuing to learn, giving ourselves to learning. And we want the culture of this church to be one of, of leaning in and learning. Now with this in mind, beginning this March, we're going to be offering Sunday school. Now some of you will hear this and be immediately excited, like, yeah, this will be great. For others, you're getting a headache as your mind just starts to think about all the logistics of making this work and like, is it really worth it? And like, we did this when I was a kid and it was fine, but we don't want to be that. Hold on, going down those paths for a second. Set those thoughts aside. And as, as Larry and I have been discussing together how to best serve and equip you as a church, how we can be strengthened in our collective purpose to grow as disciples and help others grow as disciples and make new disciples, one area that we identified is within this category of, of study, of knowing God with our minds. Now, our first class that we're going to be doing in March is going to be ancient words, our ancestors in the faith and what they teach us. So beginning of March, Larry and I will be taking turns presenting different profiles of, of various individuals and their works throughout church history. Uh, this spring, we'll hear about things like Christ-centered care from John Newton and persevering and suffering from Charles Simeon and keeping your heart from John Flavel. We want to look at the lives and words of those who have gone before us. The story of Christianity over the last 2,000 years is a story of real people who at every step along the way, God has been at work building into His church. People make mistakes and people fall, people sin, but God uses again and again these people to, to build His church, to build His kingdom. And He uses us today. Working to understand the past helps us better understand today. So that's why we're going to be offering this class. Now briefly on logistics, just to give you an idea of how this will work. The class will be, it'll be six sessions long, and Larry and I are each going to take turns teaching. We'll teach two weeks in a row, and we'll do the same session back to back. So I'll preach week one, I'll teach week one and two, and then Larry will teach week three and four. So for you, you might come week one, and then you wouldn't have to come until week three or four to hear, hear the next session. Uh, they'll be about 45 minutes long, and they'll take place an hour before our service starts. So that's going to be begin in March, first Sunday in March, and more details will be forthcoming as we go. Oh, I'll, I'll save that for you. <laughs> now I can't. So Larry also wanted me to mention that because we're going to be doing Sunday school, we're going to move our service time from 10 a.m. to 10.30. So... For some, that could be hard to hear. For others, it's totally fine. But so Sunday school will be 9.30 to 10.15, and then service will start at 10.30. So that'll be beginning in March. So you've got plenty of time to prepare and to like throw things at us if you're angry, and we can take it. So beginning in March, that is the plan. In closing, uh, I want to read an excerpt from this little blue book that I would hardly recommend to each of you. It's taken from a work by George Swinnick, who is a guy I've quoted to from several times um, in my sermons over the past year and a half. And this book is entitled The Blessed and Boundless God. You see, it's not too big and it's pretty small. I mean, not too big and pretty small, same thing. But you get the idea. Swinnick was an English pastor who lived in the 17th century. And what I love about George Swinnick is he was captivated by the glory of God. 
and gave himself that he might know more of this God so that he might love him and live for him. Now, this little blue book in some ways is like uh, A.W. Tozer's Knowledge of the Holy or A.W. Pink's Attributes of God. Reading Swinnick helps me to see how paltry my functional knowledge of God really is. What I think about God on a day-to-day basis and how that informs how I live. And reading him helps me gain a little more perspective on reality. Now I'm going to read a section that's a little bit longer that describes what God gives us in our study. And now a word of warning. This is going to be like drinking from a fire hose. Each phrase is packed with significance and meaning. So just listen. Just listen. Don't feel like you have to take it all in. Don't feel any obligation to take it all in. One phrase or a few phrases might jump out at you. Grab onto those. Turn them over in your mind and be encouraged by them. So why study? Why pursue God with your mind? Swinnick says this, we must consider the content of God's offer. In a word, He offers Himself. He is the greatest good that ever was, ever will be, and ever can be. He is more. He is more than heaven and earth. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of gods, the blessed and glorious potentate, the first cause, the original being, the self-sufficient, the all-sufficient, the absolutely perfect God. He is the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, to whom a thousand years are but a moment. His duration is incapable of the least succession. He is boundless in his being, omnipotent in his power, unsearchable in his wisdom, inconceivable in his grace, and infinite in all his perfections. He dwells in light that is inaccessible. Angels, the highest of creatures, veil their faces before him. The whole creation is less than nothing in comparison to him. He made all things out of nothing. He supports all things and influences all things. He is all things and he is infinitely more than all things. He is such a necessary good that we are undone without him. He is so plentiful a good that we can be perfectly happy in him. We do not need anything else. He is the heaven of heavens. This God is the well of salvation, the Lord of life, the God of all comfort a hive of sweetness, paradise of pleasure, and heaven of joy. He is the richest grace, dearest love, surest friend, highest honor, greatest beauty, and fullest joy. He alone can enlarge all the faculties and satisfy all the capacities of a heaven-born soul. God is a good which Christ died to purchase for us. Surely if Christ thought him worth his blood, he is worthy of our acceptance. God is a universal good, not one good, but all good. He is riches, honors, pleasures, friends, family, health, life, earth, heaven, and infinitely more. He is an eternal good, a good that will stand by us and abide with us when all other good things fail. Surely our hearts should melt in astonishment that this God would offer himself to us. We can call on him in the day of distress. We can cry to Him in our dying hour when our soul stands quivering on our lips, ready to take its flight into the unknown regions of the other world. When our friends and relations stand weeping and wailing beside us but unable to comfort us. We can live without God, but we cannot die peacefully without Him. We must stand or fall before Him. He will pass sentence on our eternal absolution or condemnation. He will assign us to an unchangeable state of life or death. 
Are you willing to have this God for your portion? What do you say? Will you deprive your precious soul of such a treasure? Reader, be persuaded, therefore, to study this knowledge of God. Think no labor too much for it. Pray and read and hear and confer and mourn that you may know God. Father, we are overwhelmed by your greatness, by your glory, by viewing you as the, the all-sufficient, the infinite, the eternal, the incomparable one. And Lord, we confess that, that far too often we lose sight of who you are. We find the things of this world far more appetizing and pleasing to our eyes than you who can actually satisfy us. Lord, may you give us grace as a church to love you with our minds, that we might have our affections stirred, and that we might respond in lives, live for your glory. Lord, give us grace to study this knowledge of God. Lord, may we not think it too much to to sweat and to labor for this knowledge of God, but Lord, give us grace to pray and read and hear and confer and mourn that we may know God. And Lord, thank You. Thank You that You are the One who gives us wisdom. That You are the One from whose mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So Lord, we look to You. Lord, be our vision alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.